0: We arrive this morning to perhaps one of the most famous texts in all of the Bible, really, all of the New Testament, but especially of the book of Hebrews. This particular chapter, chapter number 11, is affectionately often called the Hall of Faith. As the writer of Hebrews suddenly sort of makes this shift into talking about all of these incredibly famous saints of old and all of the the great feats of faith that you might think of uh, that they were able to see and experience and achieve from Abel to Joseph to Moses to Noah to Moses. This is a veritable who's who of famous Bible characters and I think there's oftentimes the tendency, as soon as we get to Hebrews, to stop all the momentum in terms of what the writer has been talking about. And suddenly we we slam on the brakes and we we pause and we stop and we review the biographies of each and every single one of these characters and examine the quality of their faith. And I think there's some merit to that. I'm not saying that that's not a bad thing to do. It's quite warrantable to go here and learn about the faith of Abel and Moses and so on. But as I was reading and and pondering and really chewing on this particular chapter, I couldn't help but wonder why. Why does the writer do this? What's What's the writer's motivation behind taking so much time into talking about all these old dead men and women, talking about their faith? What's the purpose? What's his point? What's he trying to say? What's he trying to say to us, to the church in general, by bringing up all these people and, and talking about some of their exploits? How does this particular chapter fit into this larger sort of discourse as we've, been, as we've titled the series? This is Jesus is better. How does this fit into that? Is his point merely to make us marvel, wonder? That the great faith of all these supposed heroes of the faith? Is that, how he's, is, is that how we're supposed to be inspired? I think very often we treat this chapter just like that. As if it's nothing more than a catalog of, of folks who each of them possessed great faith. With the incumbent message upon us being, go and do likewise. You've got to have great faith like this. <laughs> But what does that do? All that does, that type of thinking, that type of uh, understanding of this particular section, all that does is uphold these human beings as the standard and as the measure of what it means and what it looks like to have faith. You see, as I've really come to see and grasp it, the point of this chapter is not just to give us example after example of why we should have faith like so and so. The takeaway from chapter 11, the whole of faith, so to speak, is not, is not go and dare to be a Daniel or, or go and have faith like Noah or go and, and be brave like Gideon or go and be courageous like David. That's not the takeaway. The writer's motivation, I don't think, is to make us just stand with mouth wide open and wonder at this catalog of heroes. And what they achieved and say, my, what great faith they had. I wish I had faith like that. No, I think the point in bringing up all of these examples, all of these men, all of these women, some that he barely even names, he just skims off the surface of. He, he's leading them to something. And in fact, we don't have to wonder. It's not a spoiler. He's leading them to that amazing, resounding declaration in chapter 12. Verses 1 and 2, you know the words perhaps. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's leading, he's leading this church and and by proxy he's leading us too. He wants us to come to that same conclusion that everything else pales in comparison in terms of looking to Jesus. Everything else, everything else pales in comparison to him. The faith of all of these great men and women of the faith, yes, is great indeed to... Be encouraged by. But we cannot divorce it from the founder and perfecter of the faith himself. He's leading them to this conclusion. Look unto Jesus. There is no faith at all without him. There's no faith to speak of. There's no faith to be marveling at anyways. And I think the point is this. Is that no matter what era of history you reference... It doesn't matter what decade it doesn't matter what century it doesn't matter any any sort of point in the timeline of mankind's history no matter where you pinpoint you will always find God's people living as people of faith always this has always been the defining characteristic the defining trait of what it means to belong to Jehovah God the God Almighty the defining trait of Is faith. And more specifically, I might add, faith in the promises of that God himself. It's always been true. And it always will be true. And I think it's important to distinguish that. Because every person, we could say, is a person of faith to some degree. I think we are often conditioned to think about that idea, that idea of faith... Only in terms of religion and and church, those sorts of spiritual terms and contexts. Faith is just for church people, Bible thumpers, so to speak. But no matter really how religious you are or how spiritual you are, you are living by faith in something. There is something that you could say, maybe you wouldn't use those terms, but you would. But if you really boiled it down, you have a faith in something. There's something that you are putting ultimate value into, that you're hanging all of your hopes and all of your dreams on. And this could be any number of things. Whether it's fame or whether it's fortune or friends and relationships, whether it's politics, whether it's your career or your education, whether you would say it's just trust the science, whether it's whatever. These are sort of the, the, the quote unquote faiths that the world loves to offer. Whatever it is, there's something, there's some defining thing in everyone's life. It doesn't matter who you are. Every person who has ever lived has been a person of faith. They've been a person that has defined and lived their life by some particular motive or motivation. That's their faith. You see, faith in its most basic form, if you want to define it, what is it? Well, It's giving something our complete trust, our complete confidence. There's a great story. I just remembered it; It just popped back into my head. I, I I can't believe I forgot to write this down. Um, There's a great story about the missionary John G. Patton. Have you heard this story about how he came up with a word for faith? He was serving on the mission field in the New Hebride Islands out in the South Pacific. And yes, John G. Patton. he was there and he was translating the Bible into the native tongue of those people on those islands. And as he was doing so, of course, he arrives to the New Testament. And suddenly he realized that they, the people of that island had no terminology for the idea of faith. That was a, a concept that couldn't be translated. In which you can imagine, if you are trying to translate the New Testament, that's a very important word to translate. <laughs> one day john and uh, a fellow native uh, worker they were out hunting and they came back and after a long hunt and they, they sat down on these two chairs looking over the pacific ocean and the, the man next to john said my it is good to stretch yourself out here and he was suddenly sparked. the inspiration struck him or perhaps it was the holy spirit And in fact, that's the exact phrase that he used when he translated the New Testament into that native language. Faith is stretching yourself out. And indeed, we could say it is the most complete form of stretching yourself out on, yes, the God who made everything. When you say that you have faith, that is what you're saying. You are fully persuaded Fully persuaded enough that, yes, you would stretch yourself out, that you would have full confidence that this thing, that this person, that this institution, that this whatever deserves your entire being, your entire life. So we have to ask that question. The question, are you a person of faith, is not the right question. The right question is, what is your faith in? Where are you placing your faith? What are you stretching yourself out on? What is the object of your faith? That's, that's all that matters. That's the only thing that matters. And in fact, you could basic, we could condense all of what the writer has been trying to say through this book of Hebrews, through this letter to this church. He's been saying basically just that. His overarching aim, his primary concern, has been to showcase what? How and why Jesus is better. Which is essentially, just at a fundamental level, all that is... That project that he's been after is just an endeavor to hold up Jesus as the true and better object of our faith. That's what he's been doing. Faith in everything else, it will always fail. It will always crumble. It will always lead to some other road that leads eventually to destruction and devastation. There is no other road that you can follow other than faith in Jesus. That's why he's been saying over and over again throughout this letter, instead of putting your faith in those forms, instead of putting your faith in all those rituals and those copies and those shadows of what it means to believe, put your faith in what? The substance of all those things. That's his... That's his motivation. That's the message of Hebrews. Because the substance of all those copies and shadows, as we've looked at, as we've, as we've tried to point out, it's Jesus. He's the substance of it. He is the fulfillment of it. Everything that God's people have ever believed and hoped for from the days of Noah till right now has been fulfilled in Jesus. The temptation to this church to exchange faith in Jesus, faith in Christ... To trade that, to set that aside and go back to faith in Judaism, go back to faith in the law, go back to faith in Moses. All of that was not only the height of foolishness, as he's already showed. He says, that's why he's been showing Jesus is the better priest. That's why he's been so adamant about that in this whole book. It's not only the height of foolishness to go back to that, but also it's a categorical misunderstanding of what it means to live by faith in the first place. You're missing the point, he is saying. We've always been a people of faith. God's people have always lived by faith. Always and always that faith has been tethered to the promises of God. That's what's allowed them to get by. That's what's allowed them to even make it. This has been the case from the beginning of time. That's why the writer opens up this chapter on faith the way that he does. Notice it again, verse one of chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. They were accepted and approved by God. How? By faith. It's always been that way. From the people of old till now, he says, this is how they did it. This is how they survived. By faith, he says, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. From the very beginning... From the opening line of your Bible, you've been a person of faith. (laughs) You cannot believe the rest of the Bible if you don't believe those first words, In the beginning, God, were you there when God spoke everything into existence? No, none of us were. And indeed, I'll even go as far as to say that no one really has evidence that that is unimpeachably true but by faith we take God at his word because through that word that's how God reveals to us yes how the whole cosmos was created and even though we can't see it as he says this this is not seen we believe it even though that process remains truly as yes, unknown to us we are fully persuaded that that is the truth From the opening page of the Bible to the very end, it's always been a book about faith. As God is revealing, this is how I'm going to not just create the cosmos, but how I'm going to recreate it too. And the same processes deserve and demand our faith, our fully being fully persuaded in that word. That's how it's always been. You see, this is why the writer here then takes us through all of these large chunks of history. As he goes through this particular chapter, the reason why he mentions Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and so on and so forth is because he knows that each of those guys, each of those ladies that have always lived by faith, they've lived, yes, without question, by faith, even though they really had little tangible reason to do so. Even, yes, even when many of them died without having received what they believed in. Without having received what was promised. Go with me to the same chapter. Look at verse 13. This is a very eye-opening verse, I think. These all, referencing many of those great patriarchs in the Old Testament. He says what? These all died in faith. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They believed in what God said, what God revealed, what God told them. And yet, even though they didn't receive what they were hoping for, what they were wanting perhaps in some cases, they believed anyways. Sometimes, yes, without even seeing those promises come true, they still took God at His word and were fully persuaded that His word was true. This is true of Noah. Even though he didn't see it, look at verse 7, Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith, being warned of God concerning events yet unseen. He believed. He was fully persuaded. This was true of Abraham. Even though he could not and did not understand it. Look at verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. Notice this phrase. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith He went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. God tells him to go, he doesn't know where he's going, and he goes and he lives in the, quote, land of promise that isn't even even really his yet, and yet he's living there almost as a nomad in tents. And yet he lives there and he believes. Why? Because he's fully persuaded. He has faith that God's word is true and that it would be fulfilled. This was true of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Notice verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised, even though she laughed. She laughed when, the, when she was given the promise that she would bear a son. <laughs> God, I think you're late on that, God. <laughs> you see, it's always over and over again. God's people have been people who put their trust in the word of God. Yes, despite all the evidence that entails them otherwise. Despite evidence to the contrary. Noah built his ark, and there was not even a rain cloud on the horizon. Abraham followed the Lord and left his home without having any GPS coordinates as to where he should go. Abraham, yes, even further, was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac without knowing how he would get him back. Look at verse 17, how the writer tells us that story by faith. Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered, Abraham considered, that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Joseph, verse 22, was confident that Egypt would not be the final resting place of his body, even though that's where he died. Even though that's where he was laid to rest. Notice, by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Why? Because he believed. Even though it didn't look like it, despite all evidence to the contrary, he knew that this home was not his. He was taken out of it. And he believed by faith. He considered that the promises of God were true. Despite what it looked like. Moses himself as well. Willingly surrendered. Relinquished his status. Relinquished his position in Egypt. Even though that was the only life he ever knew. Look at verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses. When he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Notice this connection. He considered the reproach of Christ greater of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward by faith. He left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. He, he's living by faith. His only life he ever knew from three months until he was middle-aged... <laughs> He relinquishes that life. Why? Because he says, as the writer connects it, he considers the reproach of Christ of greater value than all of the wealth that Egypt has to offer. You see, the point of all of this is that in each of these cases, and many more that we could reference, all the available evidence said one thing. You're crazy, Noah. What in the world are you building that ridiculous boat for? You are crazy, Abraham. Why would you ever want to leave the only place you've ever known? You are crazy, Moses. Evidence says one thing. And faith believes in another. That's how it's been. That's how it's always been. And this is why putting your faith in God, putting your faith, putting your trust, stretching yourself out on the word of God always runs contrary, runs opposite to what the world views and values. It runs opposite to the world's faith. The way of the world and its faith and all of the things it says, put your trust in this. Put your hopes in this. Basically, the whole gist of that is it doesn't really matter what you believe. Follow your heart. Be true to yourself. Because it doesn't matter what you believe. It only matters what you receive. So believe in whatever you want. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters are the tangible things that you receive for yourself. So if you're receiving good things, if things are going good for you, then your faith must be good. It must be well placed. That's the world's philosophy of faith. You can see why that would lead to uh, people who are uh, disillusioned and and lost in disarray. That's why the faith that comes from the Holy Word of God is so much different, but also so much important because faith in God isn't about what's received. It's about what's believed. That's how it's always been. Time and again, the people of God did not receive what they expected, perhaps even what they wanted, but they believed anyways. Verse 13 again, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. Abraham never saw what God promised him. That he, through him, would bless the world. Would bless the nations. He never saw it. Joseph never saw the promised land. Nor did Moses. You know, they believed anyway. Why? Because it was God's word. The word of Jehovah that gave them the faith To see from afar that yes, even though they couldn't grasp it, that God's promises were still true, still solid, still trustworthy. That's that great imagery that appears. Look at verse 13 again. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them. That is, they saw them and they embraced them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles in the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out they would have opportunity to return but as it is they desire a better country that is a heavenly one Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. They saw it almost as a mountain on the horizon. And though they weren't there yet, they believed it. They embraced the words of God so much so that they stretched their whole lives. They were fully persuaded that that word was true. And that's what faith is. True faith, lasting faith, life-fulfilling faith is being convinced of things that are not necessarily readily apparent. Faith in God is always far-sighted. It's never based or dependent upon outside circumstances. True faith takes God at His word and trusts He will make good on His word and on all that He has promised. And like the people of God at the Red Sea and at Jericho, faith in God is being fully fully persuaded in what he has said. Look at verse 29. I love this. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Faith is that faith in God is being fully persuaded that He will make a way where none seems to exist. Is being fully persuaded that he will provide where it does not seem possible. That his plans will always succeed. Even when everything looks like utter failure and certain defeat. Faith believes otherwise. And even if he doesn't in our lifetime, faith still believes. Faith still takes God at his word. This, I think, this, this is the point behind all those rapid fire names that he lists off at the close of this chapter. All those anonymous others who, because of their faith, endured affliction. All of them received the opposite of what they expected, what they perhaps wanted, but they believed anyways, and it cost them their life. Look at verse 32. Lovely, beautiful verses. And what more shall I say after going on and on about all these famous men and women of the Bible? He runs out of space. He runs out of ink. How much more do you want me to tell you? It's always been the case. For time would fail me to tell you of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and of David and Samuel and all of the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and enforced justice and obtained promises and stopped the mouths of lions and quenched the power of fire and escaped the edge of the sword were made strong out of weakness became mighty in war and put foreign armies to flight women received the, back the dead uh, back their dead by resurrection some were tortured Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. And we could add, but they believed anyways. That list of people, it could be filled with, we don't even know all the people he was thinking of. These people who were receiving back their debt, but also being afflicted. These people who were being tortured and sawn in half. They believed. Why? They believed in the promises of God to the world. This sounds like nothing but insanity. This sounds like foolishness. How could you be so foolish to stretch yourself out, to be fully persuaded of something that you cannot even see? And to God, this is the language of what it means to believe, to have faith. Faith in God says, like Job in Job 13, 15, that though he slay me, I will hope in him. Faith in God says, "Like Esther, "I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish." Faith in God says, like the Hebrew three in the furnace right before it, that our God, He is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and He will deliver us out of your hand, O King, but if not." What great words? Even if he doesn't, we believe that he can. And even if he doesn't, we will not serve you, O king, O Nebuchadnezzar, and worship your statue. Faith says, like Paul, none of these things move me. Who says stuff like that? Who can say things like that and mean it? Only those who take God at his word. Only those who believe, and I would even dare to say, only those who have their eye on Jesus. Therefore, You see, these heroes of the faith, they're actually not really heroes at all. They're more like heralds. They're heralds, they're town criers, they're witnesses. Indeed, they are a cloud of witnesses to us who tell us what? That the most fulfilled life, the only life that is ever worth living, is the life that takes God at his word, that lives and, yes, endures by faith. That's what they tell us. That's what these cloud, that's what he's been talking about all these characters who have preceded us in death. Because by their life and by their death, they have told us, yes, all of that, that they've told us to hold fast, to look unto Jesus. Faith in God isn't about what's received, it's about what's believed. Actually, even better, faith is about who is believed. He said, all these Old Testament characters, they didn't know the name Jesus Christ. Well, yet they saw from afar that God would one day redeem the world by his own accord. They believed in what God has said that through them would come blessing upon all the nations. And there was coming a son out of, yes, that very royal line of the kings. And he would be the king of kings. And he would make a house for the people and for everyone to flock to. And it would be a house that stands forever. You see, for us, what is so crystal clear in terms of who Jesus is and what he has done and where he has come from, these who believed saw just the faint outlines like a blurry image off in the distance and they believed anyways. That's what these, these witnesses tell us of. They tell us that it doesn't matter How big your faith is or how weak it is. It doesn't matter the size of your faith or the strength of your faith. That's not the point. The point is, what's the object of your faith? What is your faith in? Where have you placed your faith? And what are you fully persuaded of this morning? The only thing, the point I think of the writer, and the point that I would, lo- I would just stress to you as well, that the only thing that is sturdy enough, the only thing that is solid enough, the only thing that can endure every high and every low and everything in between is the faith that looks to Jesus and trusts his word. That's the only thing that can last everything else will slip out of your fingers like water. You can't grasp it. The more you grasp, the more it slips out of your hand. Faith And Jesus is faith, in the substance is being fully persuaded of what is true, and believing that there are better things in store. Notice at the end of chapter 11, since God has provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect, that something better is yet, even still, what we look to is that second coming of Christ, when all will be made right, and he will take his rightful place as the seat, uh, on the seat of authority of this world and can we can we see can we see that no even even like the people of old that hope yet perhaps remains like a far-off mountain that we can only see the bare outline of even when it doesn't look like it though we can believe We can believe in the truth of what God has said. Why? Because the seal of that promise and the substance of that promise has already come and died for us. When Jesus dies, he saves you from your sin, but he also puts his stamp of approval on all that he has revealed and on all that God has said. This is the signature. It's the signature at the bottom of the whole form that says, I will make true of what I have said. It's so what we've said for a couple weeks when we going back to chapter number six, that all of the promises of God are kept by God Himself through His Son. He's the one who makes and keeps all of these things. That's how certain that we can believe in them. That's how sure we can stretch ourselves out on them. That's how certain we can be fully persuaded of them. Because the author and the perfecter of our faith. He signed that promise with the red ink of his own blood. Therefore, you can believe, even though we might not understand how, even though we might not understand why. By faith, we can be fully persuaded of what God's word says, despite the evidence to the contrary. I think what this chapter shows us is that life is never not precarious. It's never not a little bit unsettled. There's always this simmering level of doubt. Of whether or not what we believe will come true. It's always been that case. It's always been that way. We, I've said this before. But we are, we are misguided if we think. Man if I could just go back to the days of Jesus. When he was around. It would be so much better. No I wouldn't. If I could only go back to the days of of David, it would not be better. God has put you where you are for a very specific reason. And you are where you are because God has said and deemed it so. And you are here this morning because he wants you to see that it's always been the case that God's people have survived by faith. And it's always been a faith that looks somewhat in jeopardy. And that's why I think Paul says it so truly that God's people are called not to live by sight but by faith. If you look around you, you're going to have evidences of things that tell you that your faith is misplaced. If you just look at the world scene, if you just look at the news, if you just read the reports, if you just read all of those things, all the data and all the stats and all of the, all of the essays, if you read all of that, if you take that in by sight, your faith is going to be shaken that's why it's a good habit not to read those things <laughs> not to keep fox news on all the time because our faith is not by sight that's not how that's not how we get by Having faith is is not about knowing what will happen or what, what, what is going to happen in the future. That's not what it's about. Faith is not about knowing how everything is going to work out. Faith is just knowing and looking to the God who does. That's a difficult thing sometimes. We want to know. We need to know sometimes. And God says, take my word, my faith. Whatever's troubling you this morning. There's no doubt some sort of fear that's been boiling in your soul. And you can't seem to shake it. You can't seem to evade it. Whether it's one of those big fears that has to do with the world scene and and world powers. And and how everything is going to turn out. Whether it's a fear that is more close to home. That you can't seem to get over. It's this... God says... Take my word by faith. It's faith that fills all of our gloomy days with the hope of what He has already accomplished in His Son Jesus Christ. It's faith and God that speaks those words of comfort that greet us when all other comforts vanish. It is faith and God that speaks peace to us when all around us seems to be like nothing but chaos. The word of this writer is the same word that I think we always need to hear. No matter what is going on around you, don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Look unto him. Kings and senators, they will rise and fall. People will come into your life and go out of your life. People will sometimes change their mind about you. But you know what is constant? You know what is certain? You know what is always enduring throughout all of those ups and downs and and the, and the tides that ebb and flow? It is Jesus He is the one we are called to look to. He is the one that we are called to stretch ourselves out on. His word is certain. His word is abiding. It is sturdy enough for your faith and my faith and the faith of every single sinner in the whole world. He's provided a way for you, my friends. A way for you not just to get by, but a way to rejoice no matter what the circumstances are. And that way is by faith. My friends, take the words of Jesus to heart. They will never fail you. They will never fail you. My friends, may we likewise be people of faith. Let us pray.